What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you and me and for all of us to become. Here's so how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, catechesis, the interior life. I will then spend time with your questions, pray with them, study, have some conversations with other disciples about them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to grow in holiness. However, my disclaimer is this, and will always be this, I'm not perfect. Therefore, every now and then I might not give advice that is actually good for you. If that's the case, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. However, if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I really want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ, crucified so that our Lord can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you are a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at AskFatherJosh at AssistantPress.com. You can critique me there, ask me questions there, make comments on past episodes new questions for future episodes you can also share us on your social media pages and review us on itunes and other podcast formats this helps other people find out about the show if it is a gift for you potentially it can become a gift for other people as well and finally uh, you could uh, pick up two of my books that i wrote with the central press broken and blessed and pocket got the adoration at www.essentialpress.com all right uh so that's that on today's show we're going to talk about uh, three really, really cool topics. We're going to talk about the SSPX and the recent thing that's going on with them because of um, that's been brought to the light through Church Militant. Uh, we're going to talk about the three days of darkness uh, that has been in a lot of people's minds lately. And we're also going to talk about a very, very serious topic, uh, one that might be very difficult to discuss. Uh, Captain America, why was he able to pick up Thor's hammer? And so those are going to be our topics for today. But before we get to those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. All right, so my glory story is this. You know, I just love the body of Christ. Uh, and I love my family here at Ask Father Josh. Like you all are such a gift to me and my walk toward Jesus. Um, I think last week on the on the podcast, maybe two weeks ago, I mentioned that I was drinking my coffee and uh, because I ran out of my my good kind of cream that I like, I uh, yeah, basically I do some regular schmegula cream and and it was just okay. And so my my beautiful family through Ask Father Josh uh, have listened to me and decided to spoil me. And so I had some uh, awesome disciples from Dallas, Texas, who I met. Gosh, maybe it was sometime uh, last year, uh, and they came by and they spent the day with me. And so those holy sisters in Christ uh, hooked me up with uh, my favorite cream for my coffee. And so you better believe I've been drinking that coffee all day. Not only did they do that, but then my friend Jenny also did it. And then two of my other friends who I work with, uh, Cam and Alyssa, they also did it. And so all these people heard me talk about my my coffee, (laughs) and so many of y'all came through. And so I am just... 
I'm feeling loved right now. I feel spoiled. Uh, I guess if I had a love language, it would be coffee in the Psalms. In fact, that's what Servant of God Dorothy Day said. She said, my strength returns to me with my cup of coffee and the reading of the Psalms. And so I'm just grateful that y'all have been taking care of me. And so because y'all have been taking care of me, I'm just going to jump into today's show because uh, I think it's going to be a pretty fun show. So let go. All right, first question comes in from Beto. Uh, Beto says this, hey, Father Josh, how am I supposed to take all this talk about the three days of darkness? Beto. All right, so Beto, that's a very good question. It's a question that a lot of people have been talking about over the past, I would say, couple of months. Uh, And so first of all, I think we need to understand what are the uh, alleged three days of darkness. So basically, Blessed Anna Maria Taiji, uh, she uh, is a blessed. Uh, She was a wife, a mother, a mystic. She died in 1837. She's an incorruptible saint. Me and my best friend, Father Ruben uh, Dice, got to go and spend time at her, um, her with her incorruptible body in Rome whenever we were there, uh, I guess a couple of years ago. And so that was very powerful to get to spend time praying next to her body because she is one of the saints who I've felt drawn to over the past few years. Uh, I have a relic of her that I've had for the, I maybe guess now, five, five years now, maybe something like that. And so... Um, and that relic is in my office because I don't want to lose relics anymore. Y'all know my my, my record with relics. I, I lose them quite often. So, yes, yeah, so I have a relic of her. She's a really cool saint. And basically, um, she, as a prophetess and as a mystic, uh, perceived in her prayer that the Lord spoke to her, allegedly, um, and said that there would come a day when the whole world would um, would have an experience of darkness that would last for three days and two nights. Um, and that we wouldn't be able to see anything. The air would have like pestilence, and mainly um, uh, it would affect those who are enemies of religion, um, and that it would be impossible to use any light during this time. Um, but the only thing that you could use to have light is blessed candles. Now, just a little fun fact at my gift shop, we have candles that I could bless for you if you buy them. Uh, but basically, um, if anyone opens their windows out of curiosity, then they might fall dead on the spot. And during the three days of darkness, everybody should just stay home and pray the rosary and beg God for mercy. And most of the enemies of the church, whether they are known or not, uh, they will perish during this time of darkness, with the exception of a few who God will convert. And the air will be infected by a bunch of demons who will appear under like a lot of different like crazy looking monsters forms. So that's the <clears throat> prophecy of Blessed Anna Maria Taiji that has a lot of people, quite frankly, scared right now. Right, I know a lot of people um, are pretty pretty nervous about those those private revelations, those alleged private revelations. So I think before we get into my thoughts on that and what we could potentially like, the way we could approach her alleged revelation is by first of all discussing what is public revelation and what is private revelation. So distinction, public revelation versus private revelation. Public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. And this refers to all that God has made known to us, um, which is contained for us in the Word of God, the Bible, the sacred scriptures, and of course, sacred tradition. Uh, Private revelation, on the other hand, 
is basically referring to any claim in a post-apostolic church um, that God, the Blessed Mother, St. Michael, other angels, other saints have revealed to a person, disciple in our lifetime or in whatever, uh, by some extraordinary means, right? So not by like a letter that they would have wrote 200 years ago and we found that letter, but like they would like appear in an apparition or speak to us in a locution. Uh, so public revelation um, demands as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, as a Catholic, public revelation, sacred tradition, and sacred scripture demand of us our sense of faith, whereas private revelation does not. Uh, and private revelations, uh, even whenever like the church makes a judgment in favor of one, where the church says, "Yep, like this this thing is legit here," um, it's it is only held up to be something that is commended as worthy of pious belief. We don't have to believe in them if we don't want to. We have to submit to public revelation, sacred tradition, sacred scripture, right? That which is handed on to us. Private revelation. There's nothing new that we learn in them, right? They, there aren't new teachings that are something new for us, for the body of Christ to like hold on to now. Uh, basically, the church is just asserting that whatever was said in the locution or whatever was seen in the apparition is revealing nothing that is contrary to our orthodox faith and our practice. Uh, so here's the thing, though. Uh, whenever it comes to individuals who receive these private revelations, we have to always hold this truth. Just because they received a message from God, if it was from God, because the devil can also communicate to us, the devil can appear as an angel of light. But if a holy person receives a message from God in an apparition through the Blessed Virgin Mary, through Jesus Christ, through an angel, through a saint, however, or a locution, just because we receive a message does not mean that we're going to interpret that message the way it was communicated to us. Because we're broken. So a visionary or a seer or whatever you want to call them can get things wrong. Does that mean that they did not receive a message from God? No, they certainly could have received a message from God. But that does not mean that they won't misinterpret the message they received from God. Look at the apostles in the Bible. The apostles walked with Jesus for three years, and he spent time uh, sharing everything with them. But how often did they hear Jesus speak and yet at the same time get it wrong? misinterpret what he was saying. Like, remember that time he was talking to the apostles about Lazarus and he said Lazarus was asleep and they were like, oh, cool, he's taking a nap. And he was like, no, he's not taking a nap. He's dead. Like, they heard him say that Lazarus was sleeping, but they totally misunderstood what Jesus Christ was talking about. The same thing can happen for for visionaries and for mystics. Right? They can legitimately have an apparition or a locution of Jesus, perceive a word from God, and totally get it wrong, totally misinterpret whatever God tried to communicate to them. This happens not only to the apostles in the Bible, but it still happens to people today, including saints who've been canonized. St. Catherine Elaborate, she is a canonized saint. However, she is a canonized saint who was also a mystic in her lifetime, and she got things wrong whenever she experienced the voice of God in prayer, whenever she experienced mystical visions of God. That's what Pope Benedict told us uh, when referring to her mistaken predictions that she made. He said about her, the revelation of some holy woman canonized by the apostolic sea whose sayings and writings came in mystical rapture and were derived from that rapture are filled with errors. Right? She's not a saint because she was a mystic. She's not a saint because she was a visionary. She's a saint because she was in love with Jesus and she was faithful to Jesus and she persevered in a state of grace at the moment of her death and her relationship with Jesus. That's why she's a saint. The same thing applies to someone like Padre Pio. 
he's not canonized because he got the stigmata. Like, there are many people who might have a stigmata and they might go to hell. A stigmata does not mean you're holy. Right? Um, reading somebody's soul or levitating when you pray does not mean you're holy. Sometimes the Lord allows us to experience supernatural things for other people's faith, not because we're so holy, but for other people or because we might need those mystical experiences in order to remain faithful to him. That's what happened with St. Mary Magdalene of Piazzi or something like that. She was a mystic nun who had all these crazy mystical experiences. And one day she said to her nuns, like, y'all, I'm not super holy. That's not why I have these mystical experiences. The reason why God has allowed me to experience these mystical experiences and these encounters with him is because I'm so weak. Because if I did not have these mystical experiences, encounters, God knows that I would have probably left them a long time ago, whereas those of you who don't experience this don't need it. And yet you're still faithful to God without it. Right? So just because somebody has mystical encounters with God or has visions or is an apparition seer or is a prophet, that does not mean that they are holy or that they're going to be a saint because of that. The people who are saints in heaven are people who are saints because they loved Jesus and they were faithful to Jesus in their walk toward eternity, not because of the mystical lanyard that they also experienced um, in their walk toward eternity. We still reverence and we still revere Saint Catherine Labrie. She is still a canonized saint and her teachings should still be revered as well. Um, but just because she is a saint does not mean that everything that she said is infallible. She is not infallible. All of her writings aren't infallible. All of Faustina's writings aren't infallible. All of Padre Pio's writings aren't infallible. All of Saint Mother Teresa's writings are not infallible, right? Just because they were in relationship with Christ and persevered does not mean that everything that they said was legit and was totally in line with God. And I'll, I'll say the same thing would apply like in modern day with like the visionaries from Medjugorje. You, you guys know I've been to Medjugorje three times. I, I enjoy the place. I like to go to the place, Medjugorje. When I go there, I can pray really well. I could, I just enter into intimacy with Jesus very easily. There's something about the place. It's almost as if it's like an anointed bubble over the place. That does not mean because I like the place, Medjugorje, because I enjoy praying there, that I think that all the visionaries are legit, that I believe all the visionaries are authentic. Could they be authentic? Yeah, but could they also be fake? Yeah, I, I don't know, right? Because I'm not God and I'm not the church who's discerning those visionaries and their apparitions. What I do know is I've seen a lot of really positive, beautiful, supernatural fruit coming out of Medjugorje. I know people who've had conversions there, people who've answered the call to a state of life vocation there. I know people who go there and they end up like giving their life to Christ. When I, People pray the rosary all day long there, mass is celebrated all day long there. People are in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament all day long there. People go to confession for the first time after being away for many years all day long there. So there's many beautiful fruits there, but at the same time, that does not mean that the visionaries are all necessarily like legit. Maybe they once were legit in the beginning and then they got corrupted like many of the disciples of Jesus Christ have done throughout salvation history, like Judas. Maybe um, they were legit and still are legit. Maybe they were never legit. Who knows? All I know is that even if they are legit and they're authentic visionaries, they can still misinterpret what Blessed Mother tells them. They can still misinterpret a message from God because they are humans. They are limited. And so regardless of whether or not they are super holy and virtuous and they're receiving legitimate visions from the Blessed Mother, because of their humanity, they can still misinterpret some of the things that heaven is trying to speak to them. Because again, like St. Catherine Library, we can misinterpret things like the apostles. We can misinterpret things as well. So every spirit must always be tested. Uh, always be tested. St. John of the Cross, uh, he is really like, 
he's really harsh when it comes to like, you know, visionaries and locutionists and people who have the extraordinary mystical phenomena, um, charismatic encounters with God. And he always says that, that we are subject to error. All of us are subject to error when it comes to the way that we process that which we did receive, um, the way that we process and interpret that which we did receive, um, or the way that we relate that which we have heard or seen. Right, so we can always mess it up in the way that we communicated or the way that we interpret it as well. Uh, so I think that uh, that's it's really important for us to um, to always like when we approach like so we approach Blessed Anna Maria Taiji's Three Days of Darkness claims. Could she have legitimately received a message from God telling her about these three days of darkness? Sure, she could have. Could she have also totally misinterpreted what God was speaking to her about the three days of darkness? Yes, like totally, right? Do I know that to be fact that she messed up and has misinterpreted? I don't know, right? I don't know. We'll only know if it happens, right? Um, the way she said it was going to happen. But like, again, she could have totally misinterpreted. She's not blessed Anna Murtaji because she was a mystic. She's a blessed right now. The church recognizes her as a blessed because she was a virtuous woman who persevered in her relationship with Jesus. Here's my thing, though. I think regardless of whether or not her vision is all the way true or somewhat true or a little bit misinterpreted or totally off, um, I think that as disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, we really should um, be, like the church says, like we, we can we can have a pious disposition towards private revelation, you know, right? But we should always prioritize that which is already public, the sacred scriptures and sacred tradition, right? And if we know more about a mystical apparition, like a visionary, or if we know more about even Fatima, which is an approved apparition, our lords, our Cabejo, our Guadalupe, if we know more about private revelation than we do about like the, the fundamentals of our faith, like the t if I can tell you what the three secrets of Fatima are, but I can't tell you what the Ten Commandments are, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Think about that. If you're listening right now and you know about the three secrets of Fatima, but you can't name off the top of your head the Ten Commandments, huge problem there. Public revelation, right? The scripture is always something that we should lean to and cling to um, above, and ab above and beyond everything else. Even the writings of the saints. There's an Orthodox priest a theologian who I admire greatly. Uh, he's I'm kind of like a, he's my new muse. He's, he's passed away, but I love his writings. His name is Father Tom Hopko. And this is something he said about the scriptures. He said, the Holy Scriptures, what can I say? We have to read them, contemplate them, and put them into practice more than we breathe. All right, let me stop right there. The Holy Scriptures, we have to read them, contemplate them, and put them into practice more than we breathe. If I'm reading a blog post written by somebody who's on Twitter and really popular right now, or written by um, about a saint or about an apparition, more than I read the word of God, the word inscribed, the sacred scriptures, I need to like take a step back and ask the Holy Spirit to convict me to fall in love with Jesus' word inscribed because that's what's infallible. The blog post of some great, cool theologian or popular blog, blogger right now is not on the same level of sacred scripture. It's not. The, the writings of the saints, no matter how nice they might be, no matter how much they may inspire us or witness to us in our relationship with God, they are not on the same level of sacred scripture. So I need to really stop right now and ask myself, do I spend more time watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, unless it's Ask Father Josh, um, or reading books, unless it's Broken and Blessed and the podcast got the adoration. I'm just joking. More than I do the sacred scriptures, right? The word inscribed is the priority for us. 
Father Tom continues and he says, It's terrible that we like spirituality books. Read books on theology and the saints and the Holy Fathers, but we don't even know the Holy Scriptures. That is not right. All of the Holy Fathers say everything in Christian life has its foundation on the canonized scriptures of the church. St. John Chrysostom said that every cause of discord in church comes from ignorance of scripture and the irresponsible way men are made priests and bishops. He said that. Really, a constant theme among the great spiritual authors of the monastic tradition like St. Ignatius is trying to convince the monks to read the scriptures. They're too often more interested in reading books on spirituality or mysticism or deification than they are in reading Holy Scripture. The Holy Fathers all say this should not be. Repent. Scripture should be your primary love. This is only God's inspired word. There's even a canon in the Seventh Ecumenical Council that says a man should not be consecrated bishop if he cannot recite the 150 Psalms from memory. Otherwise, how can you teach the faith if you don't know it by heart? The Holy Scripture should be our first love. So, with all that being said, I think it's important for us to approach, you know, these visions um, that have not happened yet, right? Um, with like, okay, like, Lord, I'm open to that being that way, but like, I'm going to spend more of my time immersed in your word and in that which has been handed down to us through holy tradition. And I'm open to these saints who have given us visions. Um, I'm going to reverence them and their words, but I'm also not going to put their words on the same level as public revelation. Um, and so uh, we just have to keep that in balance. I'm, I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying it's a both end. I can reverence Blessed Anne-Marie Taiji and her, her writings, but at the same time, I can uphold above and beyond her and her writings, the sacred scripture and sacred tradition. And uh, I think that's how we should approach her is that she could have been right and she could have totally misinterpreted it. But regardless of whether she was right or not, um, we do know that she loved Jesus and that we should imitate her in her love of Christ because God wants for us to be saints, too. So let me know if that was helpful, Beto, and your uh, question about the three days of darkness. And so, uh, yep, hit me up at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com and send me some further follow up about that. Uh, Also, now, look, this is I'm going to go ahead and answer the most like difficult question next and then we're going to get into the, the easier question last the most difficult question i've ever had to answer on my entire podcast is about captain america captain planet he's a hero gonna take pollution down to zero remember that show captain planet back when we was kids back in the day back in the day when i was young i'm not a kid anymore i'm a priest and sometimes i wish i was a kid again so captain america and thor Hey, Father Josh, why was Captain America able to wield Thor's hammer in Avengers Endgame? Joey, all right, Joey, like this is probably the most controversial question I'm ever going to answer on the show, but here's the deal. The reason why Captain America was able to lift up Thor's hammer um, in Avengers Endgame when he was fighting against Thanos is because he was worthy, right? They, there was a saying, only the one who is worthy can hold Thor's hammer. Thor was worthy, but so was Captain America. And he's always been worthy. It wasn't like he became worthy in Avengers Endgame, because if you watch the, the, the Age of Ultron movie, um, he actually moved it slightly in that movie. But many would say that the reason why he didn't like just pick it up and throw it around in the air like it was nothing at that time was because of his humility, because Captain America was worried about the ego of Thor. And so he chose out of humility to not show off what he could actually do. But whenever it was necessary for him to use Thor's hammer, he said, you know what? I'm not concerned about the opinions of others, right? I need this right now for the greater good of uh, the fake humanity that is Marvel Universe. So, Joey, that's 
why he was able to pick it up. So now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question about the recent allegations from the church militant about SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X. Stay tuned. Did you know that every single item in a Catholic church points us towards heaven? Make every visit to a Catholic church a powerful reminder of God's presence with a new book from Ascension, The Sacred That Surrounds Us by Andrea Zachman. The Sacred That Surrounds Us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Quick reminder, you can hit me up with your own questions and follow-up and feedback and comments and critiques at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. And finally, you can share us on your social media pages. This could potentially help other people encounter the show, fall in love, stay in love, and abide in the love of Jesus Christ and their walk toward becoming saints and their walk toward eternity. Last question is about the church militant and SSPX. So this question comes in from Johnny. Johnny writes this, Hey, Father Josh. What are your thoughts on the church militant exposing the scandals of SSPX, Johnny? Yeah, so um, a few things. I do have a few thoughts on this. Uh, number one, I think we should start with Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7, and then John chapter 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, written by St. Paul, he says that love is patient and love is kind and love does not brood, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he also says that love does not rejoice like when others mess up and the failings of others. Love does not rejoice in that. So I think I've seen people on like social media, on Twitter, rejoicing that Church Militant has brought to light some of the scandals that are in SSPX. Um, I don't think it's ever a good thing to rejoice over the fallenness of any of our humanity. We are all broken. We are all sinners. We are all loved by God. And, and God is calling all of us to be saints like he did the apostles who were really messy, who were really broken, who he chose to continue to abide with um, in their walk toward eternity. Um, so first of all, let's not rejoice over um, sins that um, were committed by priests in the Society of St. Pius X. Um, terrible sins, horrendous, hor- horrific sins um, that have caused trauma to many people um, uh, in, in, the, in the world. And so I think my thoughts are basically that I, I believe a number of people thought, like especially whenever the, um, the, the the sex abuse crisis picked back up because of the release of the files over the past few years, a lot of people that I know even began to turn to SSPX and say, well, I'm going to go there because like that must be the true church because you know the, the church that Jesus Christ founded could not have had, like, it could not be filled with this many scandals that, we, that we're seeing in the Catholic Church around the world. So this small little group of SSPX who do liturgy really well, they must be the ones to go to. Um, and so they, they were, many people would not even go to FSSP or our diocesan priests who do the Latin Mass. So, like, we're going to go to Latin Mass with SSPX and, and that's the only place where the real saints are being formed at and where real holiness is to be found at. And, and they, they scandal is not happening with their priests because their priests like Latin, their priests love liturgy. Um, but the the, the the reality is this, is whether you are going to Society of St. Pius X or you're going to go to an FSSP parish or you're going to go to a diocesan parish where the priest celebrates the liturgy um, in Latin or in English really well or a little bit of both, whether you get involved in the charismatic circles and the charismatic renewal or whether you lean into social justice um, uh, groups that fight against institutional um, racist policies and practices um, or sexist policies policies and practices, whether you get leaned into um, groups of disciples who are very contemplative or who are do works of charity and help the poor out. 
and help those who are disadvantaged. Um, no, no matter where you go, you will find broken members of the body of Christ, broken, baptized, faithful, baptized men and women who are really messed up and they have they struggle with sin. All right, no matter where you go, like you can even look at religious orders. Like you can look at the most solid religious orders that saints have founded, and you will find within those religious orders that saints have founded there will be scandal. Like there was an order I was doing work with one time. As you know, I've done missionary work all over the world um, with different religious orders um, and different mission immersions. And, and there's one order I was working with where they have like a very strict schedule, a strict rule of life. They serve the poorest of the poor and like they pray all day long and they fast and they have community time and they work. And I, I just don't see when they have any time to be free to, to do any like serious sinning. And I was talking to one of the, 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 the guys in the community and he was telling me like, man, like pre- please pray for us because of these like these scandals that have been happening with some of the guys in our community. And I was like, man, my, my thought was, when do they have time to sin? Because like I'm trying to keep up with y'all's schedule right now and I don't have any time to myself. And so even in the most solid, orthodox, prayerful, Christ-centered service communities, whether it's a lay missionary community or a religious community or an apostolate, you are going to find members of the body of Christ who are really broken, just like it was so in the beginning. Jesus Christ chose the 12 apostles and out of that 12 apostles, every single one of them abandoned him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him three times. Thomas doubted him. James and Andrew left him, right? Like the apostles who he chose were filled with scandal. Even Peter, after the resurrection and after the descent of the Holy Spirit, Peter, when he was ministering to to the church in Galatians, he was a hypocrite. And Paul had to come to Peter and check him and be like, Peter, you're being a hypocrite, bro. You can't do that. So like there will always be scandals found amongst members of the body of Christ the church. So how do we respond? Well, we pray and we fast and we continue to lean into a relationship with them. We try to reform them from within. We don't revolt against them and say, like, I'm condemning you. Now, obviously, if it was like a sexual abuse that happened, those people need to go to jail for life. But even if they go to jail for life, that does not mean that we are not still obligated to pray for their conversion so that they won't go to hell, to fast for their conversion and to continue to, to lean into relationship with them in unique ways for them to have conversions the way Jesus Christ leaning to the apostles after they hurt him. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know know what they've done. He said, peace be with you. He never gave up on them. That does not mean that we don't have justice and that we don't send people to jail who need to go to jail. But the thing is, is even people who go to jail, we don't want them to go to hell. So we pray for our brothers and sisters who the church militant has um, brought to light in, in SSPX have had scandals over the past number of years. We pray for their conversion. We fast for them and we do not we do not say, oh, well, we don't need them. St. Paul says, you cannot say, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We all need each other. We all need each other to, to help each other to become saints. Jesus Christ prayed in John 17, Father, I pray that they become one as we are one. He does not want division. He does not want disunity. And so um, God wants for us to pray and fast for his church to become one again. Like, like for the church to be one bride, to forget the division, forget all that. Like forget there's Orthodox and there's Catholic and there's this and there's that. Like God wants us to be one, one church, one bride, one body on earth as it is in heaven. And so now's the time to not sit there and fight with each other over Twitter about these scandals or rejoice over these scandals or deny these scandals. Now's the time to come together and to pray as our Blessed Mother always says, pray our rosaries to fast, to lean into sacred scripture, and to also lean into a relationship with every member of the body of Christ so that we can help each member repent well, reform their lives, and make reparation for the, the sins that they have done against Jesus in the body of Christ so that we can 
all walk well with each other toward eternity. So if you ask me what I think about that, that's what I think about that. Hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> okay, you know what? That was pretty, that was intense. Let's go ahead and, uh, and pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be praised and I go unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should, Jesus Grant me the grace to desire it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, y'all, that is enough for today's show. I cannot wait to continue to walk with you toward eternity. I think next week I'm going to answer the question, who would win out of a battle between Black Panther and Captain America? Stay tuned to find out. God bless.